Well, thank you uh, for being here this morning. Our worship uh, continues this morning as we turn our attention to God's Word and open it together. I invite you to turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, which is our text for this morning. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. We read these words. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Shall we pray? Father, in these uh, moments that we share together now around your word, we pray, Father, that you will give us understanding and insight And that, Lord, our hearts and our minds will be open to receive your truth spoken to us in your word. Help the one that is speaking, Lord, to communicate this simply and effectively as a word coming from you. And, Lord, in all things, we are dependent upon you and the work of your spirit. So we ask for the spirit's enabling in all these things. And we pray them, Lord, for the glory and honor of your Son, Jesus, in our lives and to his name. Amen. Amen. Well, most of us have heard uh, in our Christian experience uh, some teaching on uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, much has been said and preached and written uh, on this uh, biblical subject and on this uh, command that we have here in Ephesians 5.18 specifically. Uh, but before exploring uh, the, the text in detail with you, uh, I want to uh, give us a few observations uh, about uh, this uh, passage, and it's particularly the command in verse 18. You'll notice as we've been going through the book of Ephesians that it it comes after a series of commands that that Paul has already given to the believer in Jesus Christ. These are are commands for the believer in Jesus Christ. These are not meant to be applied universally in the sense that we expect that the world can live this way or a person apart from Christ can live this way. These are commands specifically given to the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been redeemed, who has been made new, through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so you have a series of commands and actions that are to be taken, uh, and, he, and, and then uh, after this uh, passage in 518, uh, you have relationships that are addressed. Now, I don't know about you, I think I may have mentioned this early on, that when we got into the section that we call the practical section of Ephesians, and we start to look at all these commands, we look at what God expects of us as followers of Jesus, of how we are to live, and we say to ourselves, how is it possible for me to live that way? I cannot. And coming to that conclusion is the right starting point. (laughs) 
Because what it does is it says God calls you and I to live a life that is supernatural, that is not something that we could sort of make happen by just our will and our determination. That is not possible. From beginning to end, God's work of salvation in you and in me is a work of God. When we've seen that in the first three chapters. Now notice this. Uh, after he gives this, uh, these series of commands and before he starts to talk about relationships, in the midst of this, I think he gives to you and to me really the key to the Christian life and experience and walk with God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the first time that he mentions the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. If you've been taking note, uh, and maybe you have, uh, there are actually 13 references to the person and ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He gives wisdom and revelation. He gives us access to the Father. He indwells the believing heart. He reveals God's plan. He strengthens believers with inward power. He produces unity. He is given to the entire body of Christ. He can be grieved. He seals us for the day of redemption. And we're going to see beyond these chapters that he gives us a sword that we can use in the spiritual battles, which is the word of God, and he gives us the power to be able to pray. And this is all dependent upon the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And as you look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit beyond Ephesians to the whole revelation or the whole book of the Bible or the canon of Scripture, you will realize that the Holy Spirit is revealed to be the third member of the Godhead or the Trinity. That God is revealed to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is but one God but he's revealed in three persons. And you and I look at that in the natural and we say, well, how can that be? Aren't you talking about three gods? No, we're talking about one. Well, how can they be one in three? That's one of the mysteries of the faith, so to speak. We accept it by faith. It's revealed in scripture. We accept it by faith. Now, in the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit is active and at work and the Holy Spirit is even working in non-believers, bringing conviction and showing them their need for Jesus Christ. Now, as this passage uh, is before us, this passage, as with all of uh, Scripture, really calls for a response on our, on, our, on our part. And so I trust that as we're going through this uh, portion together, that you realize that God is calling you to respond to him this morning uh, and his uh, word. So let's look first at, at the command that, that is given here, uh, and then uh, the, the conditions, and then finally the, the results that, that, that come about. The command. Notice this in verse 18. He says, there's actually a, a command here, but it's twofold. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So he says, don't get drunk. Why? because it leads to debauchery. That's the word that the NIV uses. It's kind of one of those words that it's kind of hard to get the exact English word to sort of translate it. So it, it, it has behind it the idea of excessive indulgence that leads to licentious or loose living or loose activity, that you lose control of yourself and you do all kinds of things that, that you wouldn't do under other circumstances or, or if you were in your right frame of mind. In fact, debauchery has even behind it the idea that it is wasteful. And how many people, unfortunately, have been ruined by alcohol and their lives become a, a desert and a waste 
because they've given themselves over uh, to, 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 to alcohol and its excessive use and drunkenness. See, really nothing good comes from this excessiveness and the abuse of al- alcohol. Uh, it's only bad. So maybe the best application of that would be avoid it altogether, you know, and, and just don't seek that out. Now, interestingly, because that command is given first and comes immediately followed by the command to be filled with the Spirit, there have been some who have tried to, to make a, 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 a parallel or a comparison of a person who is drunk with a person who is filled with the Spirit. And uh, I like the way Spurgeon put this. While there is a parallel a degree of similarity, and that's all it is. The, the differences are infinite differences. So, so don't try to take what someone would do in the natural of getting drunk and extrapolate out of that a, a corollary, an exact opposite of being filled with the Spirit. Um, maybe one way... Uh, uh, of understanding this is to say that, that when a person is under the influence of alcohol, it, it influences them. It, it, it sometimes transforms them and changes them. Well, that's the kind of maybe the parallel. When you and I are under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are different people because we live a different type of life that doesn't come natural to us. And some have pointed out, just uh, in, in the sense of the, the, the thing here, that sometimes people get involved with, with drinking because it picks them up, it makes them feel better, it loosens them up, there's a social aspect to that. And maybe that's the world's attempt at trying to replicate or capture what only the Spirit of God really can give us. Because the Spirit of God, when He fills us, gives us joy, uh, gives us a, sometimes a feeling you know, of, of, of wellness. Uh, it helps us to be beyond ourselves what we would be, where maybe we would be reluctant to do things, where He prompts us and even enables us to live for God. Um, but notice this. The contrast is instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now notice this with me. This is a command and it's given to all believers, be filled with the Spirit. And let me just remind you of this, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, which really he shows our need of Christ. He regenerates, which means he makes us spiritually alive. We, we sometimes term that the experience of this conversion of being born again, and that's, that's I think, accurate. He also baptizes us into the body of Christ, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And that's an experience that every one of you who are in Jesus Christ have had. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And also... He indwells you. He indwells you. The moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him alone for salvation, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you, take up residence inside of you. So not only did you have or given a new nature, 
which is after the person and work of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ, comes into you to indwell you. And Paul talks about that even in Ephesians, where he says God's believing people are the temple of the living God. God's Spirit is present with us here this morning as a corporate body. But as I mentioned in the opening prayer, when, when we leave this building, we do not leave the Spirit of God behind. Because he's not, he's not limited to this building. This building ceases to be the church when there's nobody here. Do you understand that? Because you are the church, the people of the church, and the Spirit of God indwells the church corporately, but every single one of you who are in Jesus Christ. So I don't want any of you to think or come away with the wrong conclusion that, I, that, that the command here is for you to get something you do not have. Because you do have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Is that, is that clear? I don't, mean to, I don't mean to stop to ask that question, but I hope that you understand that. Because sometimes in certain Christian circles, and I think that their, their desire is that they want us to have all that God has for us, that sometimes you can walk away thinking that I don't have the Spirit of God. Yes, you do, if you're in Jesus Christ. So what of this command? Well, let's, let's look at uh, this uh, in a little bit more detail. Um, the, the filling that Paul is speaking of here in this command to be filled with the Spirit is different and distinct from his regenerating work, his initiating work, which is the baptism of putting us into the body, and his indwelling work. Now, all of those were once for all. All of those were once for all. If you're in Christ, that has happened to you. That's done, whether you realize it or not. That's part of the salvation process that God has brought to you through Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, the filling of the Spirit is distinct and different for, for a number of things. Number one, um, it is, as I said, it's commanded. Now, I have to let you know right off the bat that I am grateful and indebted to John Stott and his little book called Baptism and Fullness. If you don't have this in your library, I would encourage you to get a copy and read it because he does a fantastic job of explaining this in, in minute detail and with clarity that I think that brings, brings these whole things together as, as we should. And, and so I'm going to give you uh, the, the main point of his outline, which is four points about being filled with the Spirit. They're his, but I'm going I'm to elaborate on it, okay? But I'm just going to give you the main points. The first thing that, that is mentioned here, and I've already said it, is that it's an imperative, which means it's a command. It's not something that it's just a suggestion. Well, I, God would like you to be filled with the Spirit. That's not what it says. It's a command. It's a command to be obeyed. And to fail to be filled with the Spirit is to be what? Disobedient. To be disobedient. Just as much as any other command that God gives us in his word to his believing people, he expects his people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Secondly, and we wouldn't know this from the English, but it's in the plural form. The plural form, which means it was written to the entire church. It was universal in its application. It wasn't meant to be for a special class. 
It wasn't meant to be, well, you say, well, those are for, that, that's for people who are in Christian vocation or those in the ministry or those who are in pastoral work or those who, the, they're the ones that need more of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit so they can do what God asks them to do, but not me as an average Christian. No, it's for you. If you're in the church, this command is for you and the command is plural. It is universal. Thirdly, and this again would not come out in our English, it is in the passive voice, the passive voice. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, in the, in the language, it would read this way. When it says be filled, this is not something that you do to yourself. That somehow I fill myself more with God or with his spirit. No, it's, it, it could be understood this way as the New Living Translation puts it. Let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. You see the difference? Let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. And it's also this, again, which wouldn't come out in our English. It is in the present tense. And when something is in the present tense, it means that it's meant to be continual. It's not a past tense as though it happened once in the past and then it's done or it happened in the past and the action continues on indefinitely. That's a perfect tense. This is a, a present tense which, which would read this way and say to you and me, be being filled with the Spirit. Continually be filled with the Spirit. It's not a once for all, one and done thing. That, yeah, I, I yielded myself once to God and was indeed filled with the Spirit, and that's all I need. No, it means a continual coming before God and depending upon God and asking God by His Spirit who's already indwelling you to, to have control and have free reign and have free flow in your life. Do you understand that? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I keep saying that. Well, let me try to uh, develop that just a little bit with us. We times, sometimes think when we read the word filled, we think of a glass or we think of a pitcher and how much liquid or water might be in it. Or well, is it half full? Is it two-thirds full? Is it all the way filled? Or maybe is it even overflowing a little too much? But that's not the idea behind this image. The idea here means to be filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and control does not mean that you and I sort of put everything into neutral and coast. And somehow we're living on cloud nine and just the world is just passing me by and I'm good and I'm holy and I'm loving and I'm joyful and I'm all these things and I'm floating on a cloud. That's not what it means. There are times that you are filled with fear. And that fear can be to the degree that you are paralyzed. You can't do anything. You're, you're consumed with that. You can't get that thought out of your head. You're, because you're filled with fear. It's controlling you. Or the same could be said that you are, are filled with joy. The, the, the trams had a, a baby this week. Praise the Lord for that. I forgot to mention that. Sorry. You know, I didn't mean to overlook that. That's a reason for joy. I'm sure they're filled with joy. I'm sure they're tired too. <laughs> but they're, you're filled with joy and it, it, it shows in your expression. It's, it's controlling you. 
You could be filled with despair. Some people are filled with such despair, they just don't want to live. They have no motivation for even just getting out of bed. Because despair has, is controlling them. And behind this idea is that the Holy Spirit becomes the, the person who controls, who fills your life so that he is the one that you are following. He is the one that you are yielding to. He is the one that you are, is leading you and you're following his lead in your life. Now, please understand that the Holy Spirit is not a force. This is not the Star Wars concept of getting into the lotus position and sort of tapping into this impersonal force that can either be good or evil and you just got to decide which side you're on and, you know, just got to do this certain kind of gyrations to get... No, the Holy Spirit is a person and he relates to you with personal relationship. Personally, he speaks, he leads... He guides. He can be grieved. That's, that's personality. And so when we, when we say, and when I say, and when the Scripture says, be filled with the Spirit, I'm not asking you to sort of open yourself up to some I, ethereal force that's out there in the world that you don't know what you're asking for. You're asking for God, by His Spirit, to have full sway and, and control in your life. In fact, I put it this way, and so please understand my, my terminology, and I, I, I trust that it's not heard the wrong way. The Holy Spirit is a divine person that we relate, we relate to, and I, and I gave it this term, and if you don't like it, I'll never use it again, so let me know. But he's, if you would, the divine enabler. Now, we think of enablers as people that kind of help people do things that are wrong or, 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 or you're enabling them to, to follow a course they shouldn't follow. But no, he's the divine enabler who gives us the capacity and the ability to live for God. He gives us the capacity to be obedient. On the front of your bulletin, you have that from Ezekiel passage that I'm going to give you a new heart and God said in that passage to his people, Israel, that one day will come in its fullness, that he's going to actually give them a new heart and put his spirit within them, and he's going to cause them to walk in his statutes and to follow his precepts. Up to this point, the nation's been in disobedience and in unbelief and going their own way, and they have a whole history of that. And God says, one day for you as a nation, I'm going to actually turn you around completely and not only save you, but fill you with my spirit. You're ultimately going to become what I intended you to be from the day one. But see, in the present time, in this church age, the parenthetical time of God dealing with Israel, he's dealing with us. And now you get to be the person whom God desires to fill that you might reflect the Lord Jesus Christ as light in this darkened world. So let me ask the question, believer, are you continuously filled with the Holy Spirit? Not do you have the Holy Spirit, because you already do. Not 
how much of him do you have because he already indwells you, but how much of him does he have of you? See, he's already resident in your life, but is he president? As someone put it, is he the one that, that leads, directs, calls the sots, and you say, yea and amen, I will do it. Not because I have the capacity, but because I'm dependent upon you. Well, what are the conditions? Uh, let, let me say this again, because this might help to under, help you a little bit more as well. The word to fill uh, has with it the idea of control, it also has with it the idea of to make full, to diffuse through one's soul. And John MacArthur gave these three real brief illustrations. Number one, it was a word that meant the wind filling a sail and thereby carrying a ship along. Isn't that an interesting image? He's the wind in my sails. Where's he taking me? Well, I'm following his lead. I'm not moving the rudder he is secondly it has the idea of that which permeates and the way that it was used in that first century was that when they wanted to preserve meat they would they would they would bathe it in salt and that salt and that brine would permeate the meat and preserve it and it it it, it was infused throughout the whole meat um And then thirdly, as I've already shared with you, the idea of total control as sorrow or grief would fill the heart and it would affect the behavior. It it sort of permeates and controls everyone's behavior in that way. Now, when I said to you earlier that this is in the passive voice, that means that you and I must yield or surrender to the Spirit of God who indwells us. And that's not a, a unique concept to this passage or to the New Testament. You know that in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, we're told to offer ourselves to God. Well, what is that offering? That's a, that's a giving of ourselves to God. Paul again says it in chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That means giving yourself fully to him that he could use you and use me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, we live by the Spirit, and when we do so, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. One of the indications of the fullness of the Spirit in your life and in mine is that we will repent of and turn from sin. And then Paul went on to say in that same chapter of Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I knew that this would happen, that I would not get through this passage. But I'm not done, so can you at least indulge me a few more moments? I'd like to have you turn, please, to John chapter 7. Because answering the question of how am I, how are you as a follower of Jesus Christ to be filled with the Spirit, I think in part, as there are other passages we can go to, I think Jesus answers this question for us. John chapter 7. And look with me at verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice. He's at the temple. 
It's one of the feasts of the Jewish nation. And one of the, the uh, ceremonies that they did in this, in this particular feast was that they took these water, these, these jugs of water from the Pool of Siloam and they poured them out symbolically. And it was looking forward to the day from their perspective of what God said in the, the prophet Joel that one day God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. So they were going through this ritual of pouring out literal water in the temple. And the priests maybe were around doing this ritual when Jesus stood up in that temple complex and in a loud voice said and declared, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, and I'm going to give you the the New American Standard Version, because I think it, it, it captures it a little bit better in word order, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now notice this. The, the, the verse doesn't end there because John gives us a little bit more detail, verse 39, by saying, but this he meant by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. When did they receive him? On the day of Pentecost. When did you receive him? The moment you trusted Christ. Because up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Given the context and what John says by way of commentary in verse 39, this is just looking to Pentecost. But no, understand this, and I wouldn't have realized this again in the English, and neither would you have done this, but again, this is set in the present tense. Which means you're thirsting, I-N-G. You're thirsty. Ongoing, you're thirsty. And what is, the, what, what is the natural response when you and I in the natural are thirsty? What do we do? We drink. And Jesus is not talking about a natural thirst here or even natural water that the priests are pouring out. He's talking about the thirst in the soul for God and for the things of God. To know God, to follow God, to serve God, to love God, to obey God. If any of you are thirsting, God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They will be satisfied. You will be satisfied, but you have to be thirsty. And maybe the reason why some believers are not filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by Him is because they're not thirsting. Or maybe they're not thirsting after the right things, or they're trying to quench that thirst with things that do not satisfy. We think that it's an accumulation of things. We may think that it's, it's success in our, in our profession. We may think it's the accolades of our friends. We might think that it's a, a, a successful uh, a family or, or children or, or living in the right place or, or, or living in the right country. or all the, And we, we're looking for satisfaction, but those are all temporary. The only thing that can give you eternal satisfaction is God himself. And he says here, if anyone is thirsty, what are we to do? Come to him. 
come to him. And that is also in the present sense. You're coming to him, not just once, not just a couple times, but it's a continuous coming to Christ. And when you come to him, you drink. Now, drink is paired with the word believe in the context. So it's not like he's asking you to do two different things. It's actually one and the same. He's saying here that when you come to him spiritually thirsty and you want to drink the living waters, which is the Spirit of God, you, you receive that satisfaction, that fullness by believing me. Meaning you believe that you're filled. You believe that God responds, that when you say, Lord, I want you to fill me, I want you to control me, that he does it. You're not waiting for an experience. Early in my Christian life and walk, I was wanting an experience. And I can't tell you how many times I went forward to an altar wanting to get the Spirit, and nothing happened. It did happen, but I wasn't aware of it. I even had a, a godly old pastor who put his arm around me and, and prayed, and nothing, I said, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And he says, you don't need to be up at this front to get the Spirit of God. And he says, and you shouldn't even be looking for an experience. We, we accept it by faith. We accept it by faith. We accept him by faith. It's better put that way. And did you notice what he says here? That when you and I receive this fullness of the Spirit, how he describes it here, he says, out of his innermost being, or from within him, or from within his heart, will flow a trickle of water. No. He says, rivers of living water. Rivers. It's in the plural. I love A.B. Simpson's work on the Holy Spirit. He did two volumes, one on the Old Testament, one on the New. And I, I love the way he puts this. Notice this. He says, the river suggests the idea of fullness, of magnitude, and of abundance. It's spontaneous. It's free. It's overflowing. It does not need to be pumped out, but flows of itself for its very fullness. It is the service of glad unselfish living in the heart when it's manifest. And then he also went on to say, and I already highlighted this, it's not just river, but it's rivers. It's not merely a river, but rivers. It runs wherever it can find a channel and blesses every life that it touches on its way. And you know what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do? He wants to permeate your life and my life in every direction so that Christ might be able to shine in everything that we say and do. And you're not going to work that up. You're not going to determine by an act of your will to say, I'm going to do that. No, you won't. Because you have to be filled with the Spirit of God. And isn't that interesting that, that given the context in which this is given, and it's a great context, he says, first, you are filled with the Spirit and then there are results in your life. But I think too often, whether it's when he addresses marriage and children and work and relating to the world at large, we try to address all those different issues, which are certainly biblical, but we miss the point that first you and I have to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because if we, we take out of those passages good 
biblical principles and put them up and say, we're to live this way and don't have the Spirit of God, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And that's true of any command God gives us in His Word. So let me ask you, and I conclude with this. Are you filled with the Spirit of God in your life today? Again, not do you have this Spirit, but does the Spirit have you? And maybe there was a time in your life and walk with God where you were just allowing the Spirit of God to guide you and control you and fill you and permeate you and direct you and you were just walking in the Spirit and and you were doing exactly what God said. But somewhere along the line, you know, you started to sort of quench the Spirit. Or maybe your sins being present in your life, and sin does affect us, grieve the Spirit. Because if you and I don't deal with sin in our life, he's not going to fill a dirty vessel, as someone put it. That's not to say that, that he's not there, but you and I have to first and foremost deal with our own hearts. You know? And I put this at the end of my sermon, so let me, put this, let me give you this here. You know, the, the, the response that God calls us to is this. Maybe for this morning your response is that you need to further search your soul before God. And that's fine. See, see, sometimes we respond in a moment's notice, and there's nothing wrong with an immediate response, but maybe we haven't really fully processed this. And maybe the question we need to ask is, maybe my heart is cold towards God. Maybe my heart is hard towards God. Maybe I'm being too insensitive to God. And maybe I need God first to do some heart work on me to bring me to a place where I desire for and long for and show me and make me thirsty, if you would. So maybe your response today would be just to get alone with God and his word and pray. A second response might be, as it is with me at least, that you realize that all God's commands and all that he expects from me, I can't do. I try. I fail. I failed last night when I was writing this sermon. I can tell you the details, but I was wrong. I failed. Oh, yeah, right working about a sermon about being filled with the Spirit, letting God control you, and I acted out of the flesh. See, but I, 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 at that moment, stepped out of the Spirit and into the flesh and acted unbecoming. Unbecoming. And see, you and I need to realize that we need to be clothed with his power from on high. That was the name of his book, by the way, his first one, Simpson, Power from on High. That's what we need. We need that clothing of God's power from on high. And maybe your response this morning is is beyond just the realization that you need the Spirit of God, but that you're ready. That you say right now, Lord, I come before you, and I say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And by doing so, I'm not asking you for something I don't already have, for I know and I acknowledge that the Spirit is in me, but I'm asking that the Holy Spirit take control of me, that I give myself to you without reservation. Like John describes it, Lord, I'm thirsty, I come, I drink, I believe, And I trust that out of my inmost being, you will fill me with your Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to you. And the the word of God promises, Jesus himself promised, out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. 
So you have to come. And you don't have to come to the front. You don't have to come to be prayed over personally unless you would desire that. You don't need to do anything but in your heart respond to God. You come to God. You come to Christ. You come to Him. You don't come to me. I'm not the dispenser of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I don't have that. And and God, God doesn't give it out with an eyedropper. You come to Him and you are serious about wanting Him to control your life. He will fill you and like rivers of living water, He wants to permeate all of your life. You know? So you come to Him. And I pray that the result would be for my life and for yours. The result would be we'd be a transformed life that is seeking to love, honor, and serve the Lord above everything else and that can be seen in what we say and what we do to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, In light of what we have shared today from your word, we recognize, I recognize, that I am spiritually thirsty and how all the more I need Jesus Christ. I need him to fill me with his spirit so that I can have the capacity and the ability to obey. That I can have the capacity and the ability to live a Christ-like life. That I can have the capacity and the ability, Lord, to, to, to live out the Christian life and walk that you call me to in Jesus Christ. But Lord, to do that, I need the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me. To hold nothing back. To deal with whatever sin may be in my heart and in my life that would hinder or encumber or impede the flow of your presence in my life in any area. I know, Lord, that that means confession and repentance, and only that can be realized in fullness by the Spirit's work, and so I depend upon you for that. And I pray, Lord, that this would be continual, that I will not merely just respond in a moment or in a moment of even need or crisis, but, Lord, that I would give myself fully to you day by day, and if need be, moment by moment, to depend upon you. And Lord, when I fall short and when I trip up and when I fail, Lord, there is forgiveness with you that you are to be feared and you forgive our sins and you cleanse. And once again, you fill again to those who come because we are to keep coming and believing and drinking and receiving all that you have for us and for me. And so, Lord, to that end, I give myself to you. And Lord, I pray, I've prayed that in the first person for myself, but I pray that that would be the prayer of the hearts of your people who are in the hearing of this message today as well. And Father, may you receive glory and honor from our lives as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.